Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning and welcome to Old Providence Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. And let me first wish all of you a happy Thanksgiving. It's hard to believe, but it's, uh, it's Thanksgiving Sunday here. Let me also proclaim some thanks of my own in light of the gigantic undertaking yesterday with our annual youth group Thanksgiving meal. I don't know the final number of folks that were served, but it was well over 400 people. And I don't know the final amount of money raised, but it was well over $8,000, which is a record breaker. And we, yes, indeed. Yes, thank you so much to all of you, those who came and were so generous and, and donated last night. Thank you. Those who worked so hard, and I mean to tell you, it, and to say that it's just yesterday, I mean, it was all week long working on things. Um, I will mention Karen and, and Christy and Carrie and, and, and countless others of you put in so much time and effort. And it sincerely warms my heart to see how when there's a task at hand, the people of Old Providence respond. And, and really, that's so encouraging. So thank you all so very much. Now, all that being said, just logistics. We do have some leftover country ham and maybe some other things in the kitchen. Christy will be in the kitchen after church if you would like to get some of that, purchase some of that. Um, also, if you donated a cake, your cake plate is on the table in front of the kitchen in Providence Hall. So please make sure to go and pick that up. Now, there are other things going on. It is that time of the year again, right? So please do pay attention to your bulletin for lots of different things that are happening and some that are not happening. Like for instance, we're not gonna be meeting until the new year again for Wednesday nights, okay? We take December off. Though that being said, I believe it's December 13th that we are having our Christmas meal together. That's a covered dish meal. We sing Christmas carols, wonderful, wonderful time. So be aware of that. That's coming December the 13th, I believe. And if it's not, I'll, I'll let you know. Um, we'll, we'll get the date straight. Now, um, I'll have more on that too when we get there. But uh, this is the last week also for daily devotionals until the new year as well. We, we take December off for Wednesday night and devotionals, so be aware of that. And also, now, now we are having them this week, so be aware. Now, also tonight, there is Little Lambs, there is not Youth Group, and Deacons are going to meet right over here behind me immediately after the worship service for what Nat has said will be a very, very brief meeting. So, deacons, please be aware of that. Now, there's other things going on in your bulletins, like it's time to order the poinsettias. There's an announcement about that. Also, the ARP magazine, if you'd like to sign up. So, be aware of those things. But again, what a, what a joy it is that, that we can come together, that the Lord has given us this place that we have this time. And I welcome you, whether you are brand new or maybe you've been here for some time, it's the Lord that has brought us all here. And so, let's now prepare our hearts as Donna leads us in the prayer.
Our call to worship today is that great psalm of thanksgiving. I'm not going to read the whole thing because I was just looking and it's 43 verses. But I will read the very beginning and the very end. And it says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord proclaim that he has redeemed them from the power of the foe and has gathered them from the lands, from the east and the west, from the north and the south. The psalmist would then go on to describe all sorts of ways that the Lord had delivered his people from disastrous situations, from perilous times, how the Lord had been faithful again and again and again. And the calling for his people is to remember what he has done. Now certainly as you and I are gathered here today, we do not share that same story as the ancient Hebrews, right? Where we're delivered out of slavery into Egypt, carried through the desert and these sorts of things. However, this psalm can and should still be ours as we proclaim thanks because in the same way that the Lord avenged his people or delivered his people from evil, avenged evil for his people, has the Lord not done the same for us? Out of sin and darkness he has called you. By evidence of that, you're, you're here today and yet again, you will hear the gospel message. This is a gift from God. We ought to be thankful that the Lord is in the business of redeeming his people. And sometimes that looks different than in other situations. But the Lord really is our redeemer. And hence the psalmist ends, let whoever is wise pay attention to these things. And consider the Lord's acts of faithful love. While we have so many reasons to offer thanksgiving as a nation... While we have so many reasons to be thankful personally, it is the Lord's faithful love that we are to proclaim. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let's now take this time to go to our Lord in prayer, after which we will pray the Lord's Prayer together and then confess the Apostles' Creed. But let's go to Him now. Our God and our Father, as we are here in this place right now, we come with such grateful hearts, recognizing in as much as it's possible all the ways that you have blessed us you are so faithful again the fact that we are here right now proves it you have brought us here to worship so we pray that you would work in our hearts to that end that we would worship you in spirit and in truth that we would be open to your guiding that we would listen to your holy spirit and as a result we would leave here changed people with a greater desire to pursue Christ and proclaim his greatness. Again, we will not do that without you. We will not do it without your Holy Spirit. So please, guide us now by your Spirit in this time. We pray these things in Christ's name, and we also pray as he taught us to pray, by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen indeed. And now as we say the Apostles' Creed, pay attention to the words as I ask you, Christian, what do you believe? 
I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen indeed. Now, it's been one of those weeks. It's been one of those weeks where I've forgotten things, and one of the biggest things I forgot, and I'm so grateful for Donna, who is versatile. I called Donna at 8 o'clock this morning and said, I remembered it when I wrote my sermon, but I forgot the great Thanksgiving hymns that we normally sing on this Sunday. And she said, don't worry about it. We can do them. So ignore your bulletin. It's not Stephanie's fault. It's mine. Number 18 is the first hymn that we will sing together. Of course, the words are on the screen. But again, pay attention to the words as we sing together. We gather together. Please stand with me now as we sing hymn number 18. seated and children join me down front please over here on this side right over here there you go darlings good job y'all are gonna have to scooch in here all right we got space we got space there we go there we go. All right, scooch in. We don't need carpet there. Thank you, ma'am. There we go. Are we all in? Yes. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. That was so nice. It's so good to see 
all of you today. Now, this is a special week. Did you know that? It's a special week coming up. Last week we talked about Christmas and almost forgot about something else. What comes this week? Thanksgiving. She beat you to it, Bob, and I knew that she knew the answer. Man, yes, Thanksgiving, that's right. It's a time where it started out as we as a nation were supposed to stop. Hey, we're supposed to stop and give thanks to God for all of his blessings to us. Now, I'll tell you something sad. Uh, it's a sad thing that a lot of people have turned away from God and they don't remember to stop and thank God anymore because they don't know God. They don't realize all the things that God has done for us, especially as a nation. In fact, all throughout the word, his word, we can read about how God takes care of us, right? How he provides for every single thing that we need. But here's the thing. Even though a lot of people in the world have forgotten what Thanksgiving is really all about or thanking God, it doesn't mean that we have to. And not only that, it means that we should thank God even more, right? More and more. Listen to what the Bible says. Now, I read it before, so you may remember it, but I'm going to read it again. It comes at the beginning of Psalm 107. It's a great Thanksgiving psalm. It says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. As you hear that, God tells us a couple of things here. First, he tells us to be thankful. To be grateful for the things that he's done for us. To be glad about what he's done. And then he tells us why. Kind of like what we've talked about. God does so many things to bless us. And, and he gives us so many gifts. He protects us in so many ways. And the greatest gift that he has given us is Jesus. So that through believing in him, we can be with him forever. And when you put all of these things together, God not only tells us to be thankful, he tells us why. Because he's good. God is good all the time. But what he says doesn't stop there. While it's wonderful to pray and thank God and be grateful in your hearts, it says that God's people aren't just supposed to do that. It says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Or let God's people tell others. Let them proclaim. Let them talk about why they're so thankful. I want to tell you something about the world around you. I talked before about people in the world who've forgotten to be thankful and thank God. But did you know that when a person forgets to be thankful, they lose all of their joy? And not only that, when a person can't learn to be thankful, it's really hard for them to be happy about anything at all. Have you ever known somebody that just seems upset all the time? If not, you will know those people. I promise you, one day you will meet people like that. And a lot of times it's because they've forgotten that they should be grateful to the Lord. So, what I want you guys to do is remember to always be grateful. To think about the things that God has done for you and remember how good he is. And don't forget to tell other people about how good he is too. Remember, Thanksgiving is not just a day. It's not just a holiday. It should be every day for us. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you so much for these children. I pray that you would help them to be thankful and be thankful to you and for what others do, but especially to you because you've given us Jesus and you also provide for us in every way. Let them remember to be thankful. Let them remember to tell others about why they're thankful and let their gratitude shine forth. And I pray it all in Jesus' name.
I got caught in traffic here, kind of like last night with the, uh, the Thanksgiving meal. All right, as they are being dismissed, let's take this time to go to the Lord in silent prayer, and then I'll lead us in the pastoral prayer. But let's go to the Lord now. Eternal God and Heavenly Father, as we have already read in your word, as we have already lifted up to you in song, once again we proclaim your faithfulness, recognizing that your faithful love endures forever. As the psalmist ends the 107th, so let us be wise to remember these things. For you show us again and again in all the ways that you give, in all the ways that you withhold by your restraining hand of grace and mercy, all of the ways that you protect, ways that we see and ways that we don't, recognizing even that you protect us not just from the outside, but you protect us from ourselves. And you are so faithful. As we ponder this day of the year that is dedicated, or at least supposed to be in our nation, where people are called to stop and give thanks, but instead has been turned into any number of things, whether it's called Turkey Day, or whether it's a time to watch football or hunt or whatever, we're very good at, at taking things and, and really making them all about ourselves. We pray that you would work in our hearts first. Of all the people in the world, we are the ones that should exhibit gratitude. Of all the people in the world, we are the ones whose countenance should be upturned in joyful expression, recognizing your goodness. So please, work in our hearts. Work thanksgiving in our hearts that we would recognize you and be filled with gratitude. We pray even beyond here that you would work this act of thanksgiving in all of your people's hearts. Those who you have called through Jesus Christ to be your own. The whole world around. It is easy as we look at the mixed up and messed up things of the world to forget that there are many who are trusting in you. And yet it seems like in the developed world, we are the ones that can be the most miserable and those believers that are in the poorest conditions are the most joyful. Father, let not the convenience of our lives cloud our sense of gratitude at what you've given. Please work through your church that it would be thankful. 
And we pray that as we consider the world around us that ought to offer thanksgiving, that you would bring restoration where it is needed, revival where it is needed, and Father, an awakening, for it seems like so much of the world is dead in darkness and needs to be made alive in Christ. As we face hindrances to these things, we pray that you would address them and give us wisdom to know how to address them. Whether it be illnesses, whether it be hardships, whether it be emotional, and certainly as we enter the holiday season, we know that it is an emotional time. Remembrances of the past come up so easily. Regrets can be lurking at every, uh, every, every Christmas carol, really. But we pray that our focus would be you, remembering your faithfulness. But whatever it is, whether it's spiritual, emotional, physical, we pray that you would attend to our needs, not just for the sake of feeling better, but so that we would be about your business in the world around us. As the psalmist proclaims, <clears throat> let the redeemed of the Lord say so, let us work in us a discomfort for those times that we have missed so that we would not miss them again. Thank you, Father, for your love and for your mercy. And I pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. Now please stand with me as we continue in our worship and take your green Bible song books. And this one is correct in the bulletin, but it's Bible song number 301. Please stand with me. The words, of course, are on the screen. And again, pay attention to the words. Bible song 301.
go to our Lord. Our God, we praise you that you are, again, the faithful one. And as we've just lifted up, we pray that we would bless your name, that we would be committed to blessing your name, not only in our thoughts and our prayers, but in our actions. And in light of this, now as we come to the moment where we return to you, we pray that you would bless the gift and that you would bless the giver, that your name would be greatly praised. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated.
Thank you very much, Fire. What a fitting anthem again for today in light of where we are going in the book of Philippians today, but also just the subject, and this, this is not exactly connected to where we're going to be today, but how often do you spend thinking about heaven, right? And I'll ask you that question. If, if you don't, then I would encourage you to make that a regular practice, really and truly, because when you think about all the promises that God gives us in his word of what heaven is going to be, what an encouragement that is. So, so thank you very much, choir. Now, to where we are today in the book of Philippians, I'm excited because we're looping back around today to an ever so important subject. And that subject is one we came to a couple of weeks ago, but it is priorities. If you look up the definition of priorities, you'll find that it is defined as one, a thing that is regarded as more important than another, the fact or condition of being regarded or treated as important, and number three, the right to take precedence, to proceed before others. Now, if you recall as of late, I've asked you about your priorities and your focus. I, I did this because Paul accurately states in Philippians 2.21, he tells us who we really are apart from Jesus Christ. Naturally speaking, and we covered this a couple of weeks ago, but naturally speaking, Paul writes, all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. And so when we found ourselves dealing with this verse, I ask you, what's your focus? Is it your interest or is it the interest of Christ? And then we talked about how it <clears throat> really needs to be the interest of Christ because what Jesus wants for you is what's best for you. And the fact is that if your priorities are the Lord, then your life will reflect that desire to, to focus on him. Your life will reflect that by your actions. And if it's not, you'll just follow your wants and desires, your, your priorities. For you see, getting back to the definition, it's what you regard as most important that you'll actually do. I say that with a heavy heart as one who has been guilty of having bad priorities, but it's what you regard as most important that will take precedence in your life. And everything else in your life will be shaped around your priority or your priorities. And so again, I ask, what are yours? Now, before you do the hard work of examining yourself, let me first see, or let, let, let us first see what your priorities ought to be, what my priorities ought to be, because they're one and the same. We're picking up today in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. But to lead up to it, in the portion that we covered last week, we found verse 10, which really kind of sets up where we're going today. Paul revealed, he said this, my goal is to know him talking about Jesus. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Now there's many other verses that we covered last week that set up where we're beginning today, but I think this one is the most fitting. So with it in mind, let's first pray and then we'll begin reading in verse 12 of Philippians chapter 3. But let's go to the Lord now. Our God and our Father, as we come into this time, I know that already I have asked some difficult questions about priorities, just considering what priorities are. Um, Father, it's, it's with a heavy heart that I do this because I, I know that my priorities many times have not been correct, but I pray even now that you would work through your Holy Spirit in my heart and in the hearts of all those who desire it. 
by your Holy Spirit, open our eyes that we would see. Unplug our ears that we would hear the truth of your word. And not only seeing it and hearing it, that we would know how to apply it to our lives. As it is with all things, without you we can do nothing. Without your Holy Spirit guiding us and, and turning on the lights for us to see, we won't. So please, guide us now by your Holy Spirit. And I pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. So Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. Hear now the word of the Lord. It says, and this is Paul continuing in his letter. He says, not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind me and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame, and they are focused on earthly things. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to be subject, or enables him to subject everything to himself. And we'll stop reading right there. May God bless the reading of his holy, inerrant, and infallible word. Amen and amen. Now, before reading, I ask you that question. What are your priorities? The Apostle Paul's are rather clear, aren't they? And, and while I say that these are the Apostle Paul's priorities, let me be very clear about something. Indeed, Paul is the human author that the Lord used to write the Philippians. But God is breathing out his word through Paul. So while these are Paul's priorities on display, through them we see God's heart. Through Paul's priorities, we see what God is telling us our priorities ought to be. God's desire for you and for me. And just what are the priorities? That God desires that we would have. Well, Paul begins in verse 12. Before we get to that, Paul begins in verse 12 with where right priorities ought to begin. Look at these verses again. He wrote again, Not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. You know, Paul tells us something here. He, he, he reveals an understanding that should be our understanding as it relates to where to start with the proper priorities. First, he understood this. He, he understood that he was not perfect. And furthermore, that he would not be perfect until he reached perfection in glory in heaven. 
Now, we all get this, right? In fact, we get this so well that we have this saying in our society, right? When somebody messes up or drops the ball or just blows it, right? We say, hey, nobody's perfect, right? I mean, that's a, that's a common thing. It, it's much easier. Oh, you caught it, did you? Yeah, i got to have a little fun every once in a while. Now, it's much easier to say when you're the one that's blown it and uh, there's other people upset. You say, oh, well, nobody's perfect, right? Nevertheless, we have this thing that we say. And we get that. I mean, it, 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 there's even jokes about it. Right? We, we understand that. But the problem is this, y'all. A lot of times this is where we stop. We stop with, ah, yeah, nobody's perfect. But that's not where God's word stops. No, quite the contrary. Paul also said, after saying he recognizes that he was not perfect, he said, but I make every effort to take hold of it. Because I have also been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. What a beautiful verse this is. Again, Paul begins in number one by recognizing he was not perfect. But then he recognizes that he needed to make every effort to pursue holiness, to pursue rightness with God, to pursue Christ and his kingdom. That whole business where Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. We love the all these things part. We, we all want the things. But it begins with that pursuit Will you be perfect in it? No. Are you pursuing it, though? That's, what, that's why this verse is so glorious. It's so beautiful. He's making every effort. Again, realize this about Paul. This does not make Paul some sort of Pharisee, okay? This, this isn't about Paul trying to work his way into God's favor. This isn't Paul trying to figure out how he's going to get saved. He's not being a legalist. This isn't being holier than thou. No. Instead, he tells us why he's striving for holiness, why his goal ultimately is perfection. He said, because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. He said, I want to take hold of this. Because Jesus has taken hold of me. Do you get what he's saying here? That, that holiness, that doing what God tells you to do, reading his word and following it, seeking God, striving to follow him, this isn't about how you get saved. It's not about working your way into God's favor. No, it, it's, it's quite the opposite. Paul wanted to take hold of perfection because Jesus had taken hold of him. And what he shows here ultimately is an attitude of thanksgiving. When Paul talks about this thing, this isn't about, well, I've got to do this. It's instead, I get to do this. You see the difference? Paul recognizes, he keeps his vision trained on the fact that Jesus has taken hold of him. And think about what that means. There's the ultimate, yes, it, you know, the eternal fire insurance thing. That's certainly valid. God takes hold of us and saves us from the pains of death and hell ultimately through Jesus Christ. But as I say all the time, y'all, you know this. Christianity is not about death. It's not about happens when you die. It's about what happens today. 
And, and, when, and, and no, this is not the live your best life now talk because that's trash. But this is about all the ways that the Lord blesses you, not just in eternity, but right now. Paul recognized this. And for him, this was an act of thanksgiving. And he shows us what thanksgiving should be for us. Now listen, y'all, don't, please do not misunderstand me, okay? Thanksgiving the day, I love it. I love Thanksgiving Day and everything about it. Even Black Friday, y'all. I'm, I'm down with all of that stuff. So I'm not, I'm not Ebenezer Scrooge or the Grinch. I love that stuff. But really and truly, Thanksgiving shouldn't be a day. It should be a way of life. That's where proper priorities start. That's where they begin. Recognizing what God has done for you. And then living out of that. And it's from that thanksgiving that Jesus has taken hold of it. That we then see his desire for holiness. And it comes down to this. Look, Paul wanted to be holy because Jesus is holy. And so should you and, and so should I. Look, if you call yourself a Christian, a follower of Christ kind of should go that you do the things that Jesus did. If you want to follow him and don't want to be like him, that doesn't make any sense, does it? Jesus was many things, but the pinnacle of which is that he was holy. And in his word, we see it over and over again. It, it's first in Leviticus 19. Peter repeats it in his epistle, but it's this idea. Be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Holy has two central meanings here. There's certainly the doing right instead of wrong. That goes without saying. But holy means set apart. But also holiness is about being whole. It's about being complete. The paradigm for God's people is always to live out thanksgiving. So that when other people on the outside, people in the world, a world full of despair, and really, y'all, it is. The world puts up such a good show, but there's a reason why it devours itself. Right? There, there's a reason why we've got this cancel culture thing and no, this isn't about politics. It's just the world that we live in today. That's because the world is in such darkness, in such turmoil. When we live whole lives, when we exhibit thanksgiving and gratitude, it, it's the same paradigm as Acts chapter 2 and 3, that people on the outside should look in at Christians and say, I don't know what's going on in there, but i got to get some of that. I, they've got something that I don't have. And Thanksgiving is where that starts. And no, I don't just mean the day. I mean the way of life. It starts with Thanksgiving. It continues with this pursuit of holiness. And besides, God wants you to be whole. Don't we live in a world of partials? Don't we live in a world where things get busted up and messed up? And maybe it's because I'm getting older, but I, I, I look back on my youth, and I'm sure that, that you do this with your youth, and you probably feel sorry for me because my youth was the 80s and the 90s instead of when your youth was. But I think that we all have that sense of nostalgia because we look back on times when you know, things weren't just so divisive. People weren't so ugly to each other. 
where people could disagree and then you get over it because you love each other. Thanksgiving is where it starts. A recognition that you have what you have, not because of you, but because of God. And then out of love for God, pursuing him. Holiness. Now, we, we got to move on. we got to get to the priorities, right? Because the pursuit of holiness starts right priorities. Thanksgiving starts correct priorities. But look at verse 13 and following. Again, Paul starts with recognizing that he has not obtained perfection. But look at verses 13 and 14. He says, brothers and sisters, I do, my, do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead... I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly calling in Christ Jesus. What is Paul's number one priority? It's to pursue as his goal the prize promised by God's heavenly calling. Or in other words, Paul's ultimate goal was eternal life and dwelling with God. The man knew that this life is not all there is. And Paul knew the nature of this life that we lead, the brevity of it. Paul's number one goal was to pursue the glory of God in heaven. His goal is the right to worship at the throne of God for all eternity. And if those things don't sound good to you, you probably don't know Jesus. Because if you do, that desire, that desire to be with him, To have every tear wiped away. That's his ultimate goal. But the way that Paul pursues his goal is of such vast importance. You see, something is revealed here in verse 13 that is life-changing. And I mean it. It it is life-changing. It is crucial to having the right priorities. And that is that Paul is focused on. Look at what he's focused on. Verse 13b. He's focused on forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. Let me tell you all something, and I want you to hear me now, all right? The only way to move forward is to stop looking back. Did you hear me? The only way to move forward is to stop looking back. If you doubt me, when you drive home, just try looking through your rearview mirror the whole way. Please don't don't do that. Don't doubt me, okay? Okay? Or else the scanner will be going off and everything. Don't, don't do it. But you get my point, right? And I kind of joke about this, but, but I'm really being serious. Take Paul, right? Think about all the things he could have looked back on. He could have looked back in guilt over when he was persecuting the church. Because he was like ISIS in his day. I mean, he really was. He was a terrorist against Christianity. He could have looked back in guilt. He could have looked back on the life that he left behind because of the decisions that that, that had taken place because of Christ calling him. You know, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was set to be the top guy. But he left all that. He could have looked back on his life and what he left. He could have looked back on the injustice that befell him, how badly he was hurt. He could have been looked back. uh, He could have looked back on, on the things that he had done wrong or the wrong that had been done to him. He could have looked back in anger. He could have looked back in doubt, wondering why he had done what he did. Why things had happened the way that they had happened. And not the way he wanted them to. That's just part of it. Can't we do the same? I warn people about this all the time. 
never turn onto the hypothetical highway. That's what I call it when I'm talking with people, when I'm counseling people. I call it the hypothetical highway. You know, have you ever been over 56 to Montebello? Forget about it. You think that's curvy? The hypothetical highway has more twists and turns and dips and cliffs than you could ever imagine. Because when we get on that hypothetical highway, we go down it because we play out all, and I call it hypothetical, because we start playing out all of these scenarios in our heads, looking back, looking back, and they're so unhelpful. We ask ourselves questions like, what would have happened if I finished college, if I, if I kept that job, if she had loved me, if he had loved me, if, if my mother would have done this, or if my father had loved me more, if this right here had happened, then maybe those other things over there wouldn't happen. I, I can't believe that this person did this to me. I'm still angry about this. It's their fault that I'm the way that I am. And it goes on and on and on. It is November 19th, 2023. Some of y'all might still be living in 1993. Or 1963. Because your mind has never broken free from what has happened in the past. But again, the only way to move forward is to quit looking back. And this means making things right, if you can. If you have sin in your past, you need to confess it to the Lord and ask Him for forgiveness. If you've wronged somebody, you need to try to make it right. If it means forgiving, and often it does, it means forgiving others and forgiving yourself. It means having the right priorities. The most right of which is pursuing Christ. What should our highest priority be? That's it. Pursuing Christ. And the other things take care of themselves. Bud's here. I remember something Bud told me on a car ride about something his father used to say to him. He used to say, check the oil because the gas takes care of itself, right? Before you leave on a trip. Check the oil in your car because if you don't have any gas, it's going to take care of you. You're just going to run out of gas. But if you don't have any oil, you've got serious problems, right? It's the same way with life. If your chief priority is pursuing Christ, everything else is going to take care of itself. It really will. And Paul really did this. In verses 15 and 16, he, he encourages the Philippians, and by extension, God's word encourages us to think in the same way. Right? He says, you need to adopt this sort of thinking. And then in verse 17, he says, join in imitating me, brothers and sisters. And pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. Now this is a double thing he's doing. He's saying, hey, if you need an example of what it looks like to keep moving forward, to keep your focus on Jesus, follow me as I follow Christ. But this is also a warning. Because instead of just focusing on himself, he's talking about the example that he gives. And he's warning of those people we talked about last week, the dogs, the workers of evil. That's right. Paul is still warning them about false teachers. He says, for I have often told you, and now I say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. And they are focused on earthly things. Now again, while Paul is ultimately talking about false teachers, this is a picture of the world around us. 
Think about the people that he just warned the church about. Think about the people that we're warned about. Y'all, people of the world destroy one another and are bound for destruction because they don't know Jesus. And in our world, they don't only not know him, but they deny him outright many times. What's worse than that, though, is thinking you know him. And not only that, Paul talks about those whose God is their stomach. And it's true, right? I mean, this is my lifelong struggle. Some of y'all know this. I've struggled with weight my entire life. And, and it's, at one point, I, I was on my way to 500 pounds, really. I think the most I ever weighed was 456 pounds, and that's a problem. And the Lord has worked tremendously in my life. And, but it's, it's going to be my life struggle. I get that. I accept that. But realize that he's not just talking about gluttony here. This idea of their God being their stomachs. Remember, this is the Roman Empire that he's writing about. When people talked about their stomachs, this was about the whims of wicked appetites. It was down in your guts that you had the desires of your life. So he's talking about people that just run after anything that tickles their fancy. Anything that they get, anything, right? It's about the appetites of the flesh. People of the world pursue this. People of the world find glory in what should be their shame. Can you think of a more appropriate passage to describe the world around you? I've said it before. We live in a time where people weep over what should make them rejoice. And they rejoice. They glorify. They exalt over the things that should be their greatest shame. Y'all, what Paul is doing with the Philippians is no more than warning them about what the world is really like. And he's warning them about letting the world infiltrate the church. Why? Because a church infiltrated by the world stops pursuing Christ. But let's get personal. A person infiltrated by the world is going to have worldly priorities. But God has not called you to this. No. Instead... As Paul wrote in 20 and 21, our citizenship, if you're trusting in Jesus alone, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly wait for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Our citizenship is in heaven, you see. And if you need a reason to be thankful, and I'm not trying to, to downplay anything that you're going through, I know that life is hard, I know it chews you up, I know that things happen, and it makes you wonder how you got here, I get all of that. But if you know Jesus Christ, your citizenship ultimately is in heaven, and there is no greater cause for thanksgiving than this. Our thanksgiving should resonate that. Our actions should show it. And so I ask again, what are your priorities? If you know Jesus Christ, seek him. Trust him. Take him at his word. Read his word. Worship him. And don't forsake him. Don't forsake church. Pray and spend time with him. Yield to what the Holy Spirit directs you to do. And do so in obedience, but thanksgiving and gratitude. And seek to be holy because he's holy with thanksgiving. But if you do not know Jesus, then recognize, recognize that your citizenship is not in heaven. 
Turn to Christ today. Ask him to save you, and he will. And if you want to talk, I'll, I'll be in the portico after. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, what a blessing it is to have so many reasons to be thankful. Work in our hearts that we would remember that we are not citizens of this world, but instead of heaven, that we are in it and should not be of it. Let us remember what you have done for us. And with grateful hearts, let us seek your face again and again. And for those here that do not know you, work in their hearts now. I pray a discontentment on them. I pray an uneasiness on them that they would find no rest until they find it in Christ, for all other rest is false. Work in their hearts now, and I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Now as we close, let us sing that great Thanksgiving hymn, not the one in your bulletin, but hymn number 525, Come Ye Thankful People Come. Please stand with me.
Receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace, both now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.